Welcome, investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. And uh, well, but when you say prepared, what, what are you talking about? You know, a three-hour course or? Yeah, a, a lifetime, a lifetime. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I realized that now when I was young and, and foolish, you think you could do exactly that, take a course, and that's helpful. That definitely is helpful. I mean, we go through ranger school, you remember, Jared, and all of a sudden you think you're invincible. Uh, and then you realize as you get older, you're like, wow, that's just the starting point of it. So quite literally, if you're sitting down with somebody and you have just time and historically you amass things, you've read the newspaper, you're going to know something when somebody says in an interview, says, it couldn't be me. I was not down by the railroad tracks on Johnson Street or um, in, you know, the railroad tracks were near, they intersect with Johnson Street. If you don't know that, if you don't live with that area, you don't have that background, if you don't know it means nothing to you. So you have to be very knowledgeable about that and care about the area and read about these cases and understand how the whole place functions. That's just getting started, you know, baseline of knowledge there. And then there's the preparing of of the person that you're going to interview and everything you can do to get inside that person's head and understand them is helps you to better understand what, how that person functions. You know, are they a complete psychopath? Are they, are they very charming and manipulative and they're very good at uh, accomplished liars because it works well for them? Unfortunately, there's not too many of them. Or are they what most of the criminals are? They got themselves in bad circumstances or situation, talked into it or lost their temper and things like that. And that's usually explains the behavior. You know, drugs and alcohol are a heavy precipitator for that too, of course. But as you understand that and you have a bit of a knowledge and BAU, behavioral analysis unit, the psychology of it and understanding all that all goes into that gumbo that makes people a very good investigator. Like I say, come from anywhere. And also add that I've seen brilliance in the smallest of police departments and uh, you know the biggest ones, the biggest uh, agencies. I've just seen brilliance of guys. They're just, uh, they're like the incredible Hulk in there when they get in that, that room. You're just amazed at how good they are with people and how they're able to establish a rapport and speak to them. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That's, there's just so many. Yeah. And in fact, I, I don't care what profession you're in. If you are read well, and if you are fully prepared for whatever it is you're doing, the level of performance that you can put down on the table compared to the guy that's just winging it is just night and day. And and I know there's a lot of people out there that, you know, they're jocks during high school and, and a lot of stuff just really comes easy. And some of them are just, you know, off the charts, brilliant. And so a lot of things just really came easy for them in their younger years. But you can always overcome that with preparation and diligence and, uh, like you said, studying, understanding the area, understanding even the person. You know, I remember job interviews and when I would actually sit down the night before and really study the person that I was going to be meeting with, understanding that person's background, where they went to school, you know, doing um, how long they've been with a company, you know, what different positions they've held with a company. It's like doing research on the person you're going to be meeting with in this context, the person you're going to be interviewing or or interrogating, whatever you want to call it, your ability to perform in that moment is just night and day. Yeah. The the old adage we we know from the, from Ranger school, you know, know that enemy, that not fear a thousand battles, the right, that proper preparation of what they're going to do. Exactly. And that's a start. It's just a start. 
couple. Uh, Rex Schultz passed away, but he was instructor over the Broward County Police Academy. Bob Rios, he was fantastic. He did interview interrogation, taught that to thousands of people, I think, there. And it was like magic. I should add that, you know, polygraph is very helpful. It's a tool. And it's a tool that can be abused and it can be very helpful. It can be overly relied on, but it's a tool. And there's nothing um, more encouraging to get somebody, more cajoling to get somebody to start speaking than wonder about that, that magic box that's telling them you're lying, you're lying, you're lying, deception, deception, deception. Um, But, you know, like I said, it's it's a tool. Those two guys, uh, they jump right out. I mean, there's been several others. and I don't want to slight anybody who's still on the job and and say not, but uh, amazed by. uh, And I've tried to take a a little bit from each one of their their toolbox and use it myself. Well, sure. And in fact, I I can't remember who said it, but I, I learned this a number of years ago that every single person you come across, there's something you need to learn from that person. And I, I don't care if it's, uh, you know, just a bum on the street, they can teach you things. You know, I, I, there's so many different videos and things out there where you'll see people that you would think would have really nothing to contribute to the conversation. And yet they can come up with little bits of wisdom that are just absolutely amazing. In fact, uh, talking about ranger school, you know, I was an officer, uh, second lieutenant going in and uh, I'll tell you what, when I actually got there and we were on the street and we started getting, or not on the street, but, you know, actually in the school and they started issuing equipment and you see the bad boys, they just sit down, they start tying their parachute cord around, tying all the, all the equipment onto the, onto the utility belt and all that. And I'm just looking at them going, what are you doing? And they're, they're looking at me like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. I said, you better start uh, following my lead, man. I don't care if I'm, you know, private snuffy. I've got it down here and you don't. So that one of my first learning experiences, the moment I stepped in there and it was probably within a couple of hours of, of actually uh, breaking formation when I started issuing equipment, man, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm in over my head. I gotta, I gotta start learning. Uh, this learning curve is going to be fast and uh, I got to get on it because right now I'm not even close to being there. Yeah. You know, a few more stories. Yeah. Right. Ranger school is a school, the Ranger battalion is a life. And, um, just things that jumped out at me. I, I remember them um, hundred mile an hour taping a dime onto the front of their barrels. So, so when they jumped in, that barrel didn't ram into the earth. You didn't put uh, debris right up, um, you know, earth right up into your barrel itself. So you just taped that off and ripped it off right away. And just yeah. little things like that, that just was normal course of how they did business, but came away from that and moments and were so much better. And, uh, yeah, I did the same thing in police work. Those guys had, had amassed years of investigative experience and, and, uh, also, you know, there's courses that speak to that that are very helpful as well. You know, John Reed School is a very good school, long time been around, but there's a process on that. And there's different schools of thought on how to go about that. But essentially, staying with the theme on the interview and interrogation, what, what yeah. you're doing is is you're creating an environment that a person needs to stay and talk to you. And so they're going to take either door number one or, or the box, and you don't want them to take and walk out the door when you're in an interview. I should add that the feds are very different. The slower process, sometimes it's the exact same as a bank robber is or, or violent crime, but a lot of times it's a long, very long process where you sit down to have an interview and attorneys can be involved and then they're, they're, uh, there's immunity involved. But generally speaking, the violent crimes, when you sit down and you have that moment, they're going to try to bluff you and make you go away. So this is out of their head. This is They've moved beyond it. So it is in their best interest to, to have that conversation back and forth with you to find out what it is at the same time, which is, dare I say, I don't want to say enjoyable, but it's thrilling. How about that? 
when you're sitting there and you're you're literally knowing what the uh, game is and you, it's almost a poker game so that person's going to stay there for as long as it's in their best interests and they're going to tell as much as they can what's in their best interest in hopes that you go away and you as the investigator if you know the person's guilty or sometimes even when you don't you are going to say what it means to get that person to stay in that room convince them that it's in their best interests and work through that interview and that process over there. And of course, there's a lot of truth things that are going on. It can be eliminating somebody and things like that. So then why does anybody ever speak to the police officers? Well, if you just committed a homicide and you want them to just go away and look at somebody else, and you maybe think that is, if you do, there's two paths to take there. You sit down, well, let's say three. You sit down, you get an attorney, or the third one is, is that you tell them to go away. Well, they go away, and then now all the focus goes on you. And they know there's a, a suitable amount of resources that can be thrown at a case. And now the umpire's behind the plate. Everybody's watching this thing because why is this guy not cooperating? And when he does cooperate, okay, he either is innocent or thinks that he can figure out what's going on, number one, or number two, he can have smart or, or does he has a good cover story to get out of it. So those are the best interests that are at heart there. So what goes into that? Well, Again, you're well prepared. You understand what drives this person. Sometimes they just want to confess. They want to move on with it. You know, they want to know and they're they're terrified of what they did. And I found a lot of people were that way. They just got in over the head. Not everybody was a psychopath. Then there were there were a few for sure. Not everybody's a psychopath. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I mean, the people that commit the crime, they get in over their heads sometimes on that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a human element to it as well. So a lot of times when when you unpeel all the layers of what happened on this and it's a, a you know mutual combat situation or the guy was there he dragged into an event or something like that then you know that's ultimately revealed but um well, that, that's of, the balancing act I, that brings up a great point to me out of all the violent crimes that you have investigated how many of them were actually you know planned like the person actually maybe not the the actual crime but you know, they put themselves with purpose in a situation where something like that could happen versus somebody that just, it just happened. You know, they, they exploded on the girlfriend and, and ended up, you know, doing things that they would have never predicted or guessed or, or thought that they would ever do. And yet there they are. So I don't know if you can throw a percentage or not, but you know, just a yes, man. Yeah, a huge, a huge amount of that percentage is people that get themselves into these situations by, I don't want to say poor life decisions, but they probably never had a chance to really make those good decisions. They were just, it was just thrust upon them from their circumstances of growing up. So let's take that portion and throw it right out. And let's take the remainder that says they had a great upbringing and all the uh, good things in life came at them. And they have either a psychotic state to them, you know, poor impulse control, or maybe something along those lines where they just can't differentiate. They have a low intelligence level, uh, cognition level, and they can't differentiate between making good decisions and bad decisions. But the psychotics, just poor impulse control. These are the things that scare the heck out of you, man. You know, one minute somebody's out there going for a jog, and then they're just gone. And who would grab somebody in the middle of the day? Well, these psychotics do. They see it, they do it, and the person's gone. And sometimes they get away with it. And it's poor income control versus the organized personality who plans that. And you can bifurcate that even more and say, you know, there's a group. So big thing was MS-13 probably remains a big thing. It's a, a group and they're killing a lot of young uh, Honduran, El Salvadoran, the diaspora in the U.S., the 
persons that are in the U.S. They're killing a lot of them. They're burying them out in the woods and such like that. So that's an organized process, a lot like maybe you would throw into it in the day the outlaw bikers did it. The organized crime elements do that. So you sort of walk your way into it or born into it. And then the, the classic murders that do that, the psychopathic type murders that do that. Yeah. How, how often do, do they evolve? And they, they do. They do. They're just uh, they're that type of personality that's out there or they're psychopathic and they're not to the point where they understand that the reward is not worth the risk of killing somebody. They're not there yet. They're not to that level. They may never be that level. They just have that personality, low empathy or lack of empathy. So how often do you catch that that one psychopath that's out there killing people? It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of rare. It's kind of rare, but you know, does happen the rapists and you see that happen here, you know, but uh, I think the ability to catch them, there were, there was so much of that going on has really stemmed from the DNA work. You've been able to catch these guys and they're, they're locked up and they're not out there anymore. I'm sorry, you're going to say something. Getting that element off the streets. In some instances, I think getting them off the street permanently. It's just they're, they're just a danger to themselves and everybody else around them. And you just can't change that. But like you said, that's pretty rare. So as a whole, you know, targets of opportunity versus planned out is what, 90, 95 percent, you think? Yeah. Yeah, victim precipitation thrown in there. You know, it's just that that crime triangle, as they call it. But that happens that, you know, you're there, you know, a bad guy runs into you. Likelihood of being caught is very low. And you put I don't want to see put yourself in a bad situation because people will erupt. And what they'll say is that it's not the victim's fault. I I hear that. But, you, you know, you can't expect to put yourself in a bad situation and then come out of that. okay. you know, you wouldn't go swimming with sharks that are really hungry is my point. So uh, yeah. you have to be, you know, have to be wily about that. You have to be smart about those things. So anyway, this the victim precipitation, yeah, it, it becomes very high. One of the things the FBI works is the sexual assaults aboard the cruise ships. And um, it's a floating party the entire time, very alcohol induced. And the likelihood goes very high in many of the offenders' minds because there's no police officers there. They're out at sea, so there's nobody to over, and they're going to be gone in a little bit. Now, what controls that is their names and everything exist right there, so they can be captured. But, you know, that alcohol and all that sort of clouds the memories. And then you have a precipitation on the uh, sexual assault event that happens over there. This is that, I don't want to say a balancing act, but what, I, what I'll say is this, the, the victim precipitation is that mind starts wandering. And now you have this situation where these things, and it's a, it's a good amount that, that happens with that. Uh, it's a, that's an interesting, interesting scenario there, because I'm, I'm sure also a lot of these guys, they say, well, you know, she's on a cruise ship in order to meet guys exactly like me. And uh, so, yeah, they, the victim wanted it. Yeah, we hear that. Uh, we hear that yeah. I'm sure. So thus far, you've kind of described interviewing, you know, in, a, in more of a controlled situation. What do you do right there at the moment? You know, if, if you have people surrounding a crime scene and a lot of them you want to start questioning, what are some of the things that you look for there? You mean like a mass event that just happened or something? Well, but even even just a, a homicide. Yeah. Uh, Ranger handbook, right? Don't let two prisoners uh, get together. They'll cook up a story between them. So it flies right over that. You want to bifurcate or separate those witnesses so they have a good, clean perspective of what happened there and you don't want to lead them. And that's a regular interview. Usually they're cooperative. Sometimes they're not, you know, if it's if it's a organized crime or a very violent area where the drug trade is running that that whatever it is, you know, brownstones, trailer parks, the backwoods. And I I use that in a broad sense because we worked all across the U.S., you know. So if that's uh, a factor and that intimidation factors there, 
and you might not get a cooperative witness. So how do you get them? They, they won't even stay. They're not going to see anything. But if you get a cooperative witness, you know, you, you walk them through that and uh, you get every piece of information from them. And that's where you being a smart uh, investigator and having a good background comes into play. So you're able to draw that information out of them. Example, I've seen it over and over again. They ask is, uh, what, did it look like a flat gun, like a, like a Glock, or did it look like a cowboy gun? And we're going with a revolver versus, you know, an automatic and narrowing it down. And then even a better investigator is going to maybe show them, it goes, did it look like this and have the picture book right with them? You know, um, and they're constantly improving their game. I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's, there's one case in particular that uh, was actually in Idaho, Angie Dodge. And that case was old for a lot of years. They thought they had one of the perpetrators and they, they put a guy in prison for 20 years that didn't do it. Ooh. But ultimately when it came down to solve, actually solving the case, they realized that the guy that killed Angie Dodge lived across the street. He'd only mm-hmm. seen her a, a number of times because she'd only lived there a couple of weeks. And yet he, in that short amount of time, became completely infatuated with her. Once the murder happened, uh, you know, she was raped and then murdered. And then uh, everybody's all gathered around as the police are responding and including the guy that did it. And I can't remember his name right off the top of my head, but the police actually talked to him because he was a neighbor. But he so he was in the file, but just never came up as a um, as a really good victim or, or I'm sorry, a really good suspect. And I don't know what in that officer's mind thought, you know, hey, this guy, uh He sounds legit. And so, you know, we shouldn't pursue him any further. But, you know, clearly that's one of those that's uh, that's missed horribly. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I see. uh, Yeah, exactly. Case in point, different time in a different place. So what happened back in those days is a a lot more acceptance on space value happened. And you did not have that benefit of being able to see what how this person lived. You could see a criminal history, but if it didn't have that and somebody was helpful, generally people were helpful back then. I have a, a little vignette I tell about when I was a boy. Miami Serpentarian, a little kid fell into the Nile crocodile pit at the Miami Serpentarium and three guys jumped in. Three guys jumped in with a Nile crocodile to try to save this kid. And unfortunately, he was killed. And the owner came out and killed him with a, um, I think a Luger pistol. And I think about it now, how things have changed. And I've, would three people jump into a Nile alligator, a crocodile pit rather, or would they sit back and film it? Um, so my point is that social conventions have changed. So we, at those, in that time period, trusted people implicitly. Now we know that if somebody injects themselves into an investigation, we're setting off red flags and we want to know more about this person. It happened with the Lyons sisters. The family injected themselves into the investigation and we see that pattern over and over again. The other part of it, Violence of the Lambs, okay? Hannibal Lecter says he covets. That's what the, the big line was. And he lived and he, and he saw Buffalo Bill, saw the girl the entire time, uh, Frederica Bimmel. And um, that is Occam's razor. It's staring you right in the face. I mean, somebody didn't just wake up one day and drive into a zone where they're not comfortable and then go grab somebody unless they're psychotic. I see, I do, I act or impulse control. And it's hard to pick that off when you don't have any clues there. But if somebody's maybe the poor impulse control, they operate in their comfort zone. You see that over and over again. And exactly what you said, you know, it all makes sense afterwards. But unfortunately, time's changed. And now when you see that, and plus that evolution of time, you see he probably had other violations along the way, probably a naughty boy the entire time and had 
you know, probably three, four sex assault or uh, questionable arrests or detentions along the way. And when you interview these police officers, these cops, and it bounces into NCIC and they see that criminal history, you know you have a bad boy out there as a rapist or a, or a killer um, or is evolved into it. And that's my point, yeah. I guess, about being prepared and just knowing that stuff and uh, hunting these guys like, you know, the animals that they are. You just got to hunt them down. Otherwise, you're going to do it to somebody else. Yeah. Well, and that's, I, I, my understanding is uh, with each new victim, it gets easier. You know, there's a lot of justification that happens in these serial rapists and, and murderers types where they're just like, well, you know, I did it once. I never got caught. And it, it doesn't even have to be a major crime. You know, it can be a burglary. You know, the guys yeah. that mm-hmm. do something like that, it's, hey, the, the thrill of doing it. Plus, I got some stuff. And you know what? I'm able to sell it and get some drugs you know, something, but the key is they got away with it once. And so it's easier to do it the next time. Well, it's a lot like a liar, a liar's accomplished liar is very good. And I'm like, well, why do they lie? Because it works if they're good at doing that. And I watched something one time and I forget who said, he says a great liar, Lance Armstrong, terrible liar, Richard Nixon. And they showed the juxtaposition of the two out there. But in that same theme, what you're talking about, I love the scene from the Quentin Tarantino to romance and uh, James Gandolfini talks about to uh, Roseanne Arquette, I think it is, or the other sister. And he's explaining how when he first killed somebody, he says, the first time I did, it, I threw up. I believe that. And he's got his voice and accent. He says, the second time ain't no Mardi Gras either. He says, the third time I just do it to see their facial expression. And he talks about that whole evolution of killing people. And it's great. You know, that's why, of course, Tarantino is such a great uh, filmmaker because he's able to capture that. But it's absolutely true when you talk to these guys and they're such accomplished killers along the way. And they've uh, they've mentally accepted it. They've gotten through that that rough part. And that's what they are. And the confidence comes along with it now. It changes them. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I, I think it's amazingly fortunate to society as a whole that, number one, no, I, I don't know if there's a percentage, but I would say it's got to be in the upper 90s of people that just never even uh, contemplate something like that. They're just like, you know what? Uh, the thought of killing somebody is just abhorrent. And I think I think the vast majority of us are, are like that. Of the people that have actually thought about it, I, I think a very small percentage of the of the people actually do. And, you know, which which boils down to the numbers. They say basically 5% of society or less is creating 95% of the crime. And so, you know, it's not like it's not like society as a whole is bad. It's just the the people that are actually are bad. A lot of them just aren't being taken off the street nowadays. And so that's why crime is going up, especially homicides and and violent crimes. And, you know, a lot of these people are just even if they create or do something as heinous as a murder or a rape, it's it's getting pled down. So it's it's not even if they do go to jail, it's not like they're going to go to jail for murder one, they're going to go for some lesser crime. Yeah. And then the healthcare is, uh, the, the mental health care is lacking right now. The answer probably was not putting people into, um, facilities that used to exist when we were young, Jared, but the answer is not letting them live homeless existence. I mean, it exacerbates the problems that they have. So right. somewhere in between there have to, there's got to develop something that's going to help people. And, you know, those personalities, not so much the psychopaths, but the psychotics, it just becomes exacerbated by the stressors of life that are right there. And so this is where you have this, uh, this crime that, that takes place. So they fall into homelessness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, listen, Tom, I, I know we could keep going on for hours and hours, man. I appreciate it. Um, but I'll tell you this, um, I'm glad there's guys like you out there that not only are dedicated enough to, to do this kind of stuff, to, to study it and to perfect it, but uh, that you actually stick around, you know, you educate the younger guys and, you know, it was your job basically leading that ERT team to, to train a whole bunch of uh, younger guys coming up, right? Yeah, I was, uh, I'm fond of saying, you know, I was very fortunate to be able to make a living and make a difference and it's stressful, no two ways about it, but that's the life I chose. And um, I was very blessed and fortunate that senior guys took pity on me and, and took me under their wings and helped me out. And I'm trying to maybe hand that down and help people or at least direct them to the people who do know how, how this stuff works, but also to stay networked into it and share that. And it's, you know, of course, the, the technology and everything else. And the better we share that it's iron sharpening iron, you know, I mean, the better we get at that and the, and the, and the um, and it's fair to everybody across the board. And, if, and there's even a detrimental effect, uh, a deterrent effect rather, when you're very good at your game and you know that if you come into this area, you're going to get caught, you know, when the agencies are really good. I mean, South Florida is very cutting edge as far as technology. And I've been to other parts of the country and I'm surprised they solve anything. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, they do, but they do it differently. They do it in an organic process. But when I see the technology that was so uh, well embraced in South Florida, and I can't answer that. I've looked at it and trying to understand it. And I can't say it's the sheriff's office have discretionary funds. So they're able to get that technology, bring it aboard and they network so well and they're close. I can't say it's that. I lived up in Maryland, uh, as as you know, up there. I don't know what's the traffic um, that maybe prohibits those getting those clubs and those uh, like the big chapters of the IAI together and networking. And, and they do a great job. And but the, I would say that technology of the of South Florida is um, and other parts of Florida too is just really good. How uh, they embraced that so long ago. Again, caveat that I could be biased just because I saw it so uh, up close back in those days. Yeah. Well, and it, but there is a reason that so many people are moving out of areas like Maryland and moving down to Florida. You know, there's uh, the the crime rates are lower. Yeah, there. I mean, there's lots of reasons, but the beaches, I'm sure, pulls uh, some of those folks. Now, I I just think also the the crime wave that came out of the '80s with all the homicides, the bodies were stacked like cordwood, and um, they had to get better, and they really worked hard to get better. And I think probably if I had to had to guess at it, you had experienced investigators who came and moved to Florida as retirees, missed the job, and went back there. And I there were uh, Bob Foley, for example, is back up in Massachusetts, but he was one of the Obi-Wan Kenobis over the Jedis in BSO, and he's still working now, and he's 80-something years old, and he uh, stays engaged in network and shares that that information. But when he was there and he said something, I think that he was just imparting that wisdom, and a lot like that Ranger Battalion, those guys, you see them and you do it. It just changes you in that moment. So I think that's a large part of it. You're not going to get that in, in an insular part of the United States where you just don't have that exchange of information and those, those folks coming in. So anyway, I love the phenomenon. You, you know, I could talk about it all afternoon. So maybe that's a podcast for another day. Yeah. Well, we, we will certainly have you on again, brother. Okay. Sounds real good, Jared. Okay. You take care. All right. Enjoy it. Take care of yourself. Thanks for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.